Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Mark 16, verses 15 to 18, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 16, verses 15 to 18. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. This is the word of the Lord. We ought to notice, firstly, in these verses, the parting commission which our Lord gives to his apostles. He addresses them for the last time. He marks out their work until he comes again, in words of wide and deep significance. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. The Lord Jesus would have us know that all the world needs the gospel. In every quarter of the globe, man is the same, sinful, corrupt, and alienated from God. Civilized or uncivilized, in China or in Africa, he is by nature everywhere the same, without knowledge, without holiness, without faith, and without love. Wherever we see a child of Adam, whatever be his color, we see one whose heart is sick and who needs the blood of Christ in renewing of the Holy Spirit and reconciliation with God. The Lord Jesus would have us know that the salvation of the gospel is to be offered freely to all mankind. The glad tidings that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and that Christ has died for the ungodly, is to be proclaimed freely to every creature. We are not justified in making any exception in the proclamation. We have no warrant for limiting the offer to the elect. We come short of the fullness of Christ's words and take away from the breath of his sayings if we shrink from telling anyone, God is full of love for you. Christ is willing to save you. Whoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Revelation 22:17. Let us see in these words of Christ the strongest argument in favor of missionary work, both at home and abroad. Remembering these words, let us be unwearied in trying to do good to the souls of all mankind. If we cannot go to the heathen in China or India, let us seek to enlighten the darkness which we shall easily find within reach of our own door. Let us labor on, unmoved by the sneers and taunts of those who disapprove missionary operations and hold them up to scorn. We may well pity such people. They only show their ignorance, both of Scripture and Christ's will. They understand neither what they say nor what they affirm. We ought to notice, secondly, in these verses, the terms which our Lord Jesus tells us should be offered to all who hear the gospel. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. Every word in that sentence is of deep importance. Every expression in it deserves to be carefully weighed. We are taught here the importance of baptism. It is an ordinance generally necessary to salvation where it can be had, not he that believes simply, but he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. 
Thousands, no doubt, receive not the slightest benefit from their baptism. Thousands are washed in sacramental water, who are never washed in the blood of Christ. But it does not follow, therefore, that baptism is to be despised and neglected. It is an ordinance appointed by Christ himself, and when used reverently, intelligently, and prayerfully, is doubtless accompanied by special blessing. The baptismal water itself conveys no grace. We must look far beyond the mere outward element to him who commanded it to be used. But the public confession of Christ, which is implied in the use of that water, is a sacramental act which our Master himself has commanded. And when the ordinance is rightly used, we may confidently believe that he seals it by his blessing. We are taught here, furthermore, the absolute necessity of faith in Christ to salvation. This is the one thing needful. He that believes not is the man that shall be lost forevermore. He may have been baptized and made a member of the visible church. He may be a regular communicant at the Lord's table. He may even believe intellectually all the leading articles of the creed. But all shall profit him nothing if he lacks saving faith in Christ. Have we this faith? This is the great question that concerns us all. Except we feel our sins, and feeling them flee to Christ by faith and lay hold on Him. We are taught here, furthermore, the certainty of God's judgments on those who die unbelieving. He that believes not shall be damned. How dreadful the words sound! How fearful the thought that they came from the lips of Him who said, My words shall not pass away. Let no man deceive us with vain words. There is an eternal hell for all who persist in their wickedness and depart out of this world without faith in Christ. The greater the mercy offered to us in the gospel, the greater will be the guilt of those who obstinately refuse to believe. Oh, that men were wise! Oh, that they would consider this latter end! Deuteronomy 32.29 He that died upon the cross has given us plain warning that there is a hell, and that unbelievers shall be damned. Let us take heed that his warning is not given to us in vain. We ought to notice, lastly, in these verses, the gracious promises of special help which our Lord holds out in his parting words to his apostles. He knew well the enormous difficulties of the work which he had just commissioned them to do. He knew the mighty battle they would have to fight with heathenism, the world, and the devil. He therefore cheers them by telling those whose miracles shall help forward their work. These signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new tongues. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and heal them. The fulfillment of most of these promises is to be found in the Acts of the Apostles. The age of miracles, no doubt, is long past. They were never meant to continue beyond the first establishment of the church. It is only when plants are first planted that they need water daily and support. The whole analogy of God's dealing with his church forbids us to expect that miracles will always continue. In fact, miracles would cease to be miracles if they happened regularly without cessation or intermission. It is well to remember this. The remembrance may save us much perplexity. But though the age of physical miracles is past, we may take comfort in the thought that the Church of Christ shall never want Christ's special aid in its seasons of special need. The great head in heaven will never forsake his believing members. 
His eye is continually upon them. He will always time his help wisely and come to their support in the day that he is needed. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Isaiah 59.19 Finally, let us never forget that Christ's believing church in the world is of itself a standing miracle. The conversion and perseverance in grace of every member of that church is a sign and wonder, as great as the raising of Lazarus from the dead. The renewal of every saint is as great a marvel as the casting out of a devil, or the healing of a sick man, or the speaking of a new tongue. Let us thank God for this and take courage. The age of spiritual miracles is not yet past. Happy are they who have learned this by experience and can say, I was dead, but I am alive again. I was blind, but now I see. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today. May the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we have just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? Is this command to proclaim the gospel freely to all evident in our lives? Do we see this as optional or as a command of love from our gracious Savior? Second, have we only received baptism by water or the very thing that baptism points to, namely, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Was our baptism just ceremonial or did it point to an inward reality of turning from sin and toward God? Third, do we believe in the reality of hell? Does it cause us to cling more to Christ And does it cause us to proclaim the good news of salvation in Christ alone all the more? And fourth, whether we agree or not with Ryle's view of the gifts, do we not believe that the church is a miracle in and of itself? Even this coming Sunday, would we not look around and remember God's great work in gathering a people for himself and worship him?